In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. Hello there. And welcome to In the Lab. Drew Doherty with Jazzy Hands himself. John Harris had a fun time with you at the Combine in Indianapolis. Hold on. Let me see if I can get this chair raised up. <laughs> now that happens, man. Sometimes you got to do that, bro. No, I can't do it. It's no office and stuff. Anyways. Yeah, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about Evan Neal. You're going to give your mini breakdown on Evan Neal. And then we're going to just going to chit chat and scatter shoot about the combine. We're not going to break down uh, the three cone drills of the <laughs> offensive linemen that are going to be on midday prospects. We're going to get, get stay light. So just work with us and have fun. But John, it's good to be with you. Yeah, Evan Neal is like a lot of these guys. I mean, basically, if you're in the NFL, you're kind of a freak of nature in general. But <laughs> He's a freak of freak of nature because he's six foot seven, six foot eight, a slender 300, you know, almost 400 pounds. And it looks like he could, <laughs> he could put other stuff on him and he'd be just fine. I mean, this guy is really, really, really impressive. He's not just a combine freak show. He's all absolutely a great football player. Well, he's played left tackle. He's played right tackle. He's played on the interior part of the line at guard and started and played against high level competition at a bunch of different spots, but man, you see him going one overall in, in a lot of mock drafts. A lot of mocks have him going to the Texans at three, should they stay there? And they, they're very, they've been very open about wanting to move back, but your impressions of Evan Neal, John Harris, what do you think of this guy? Well, having watched him for the, the 2019 and 2020 season, there was a lot to like, I mean, obviously size, you see the size and you're like, my goodness. But then the ability, I mean, the way he moves at that, that size and he was bigger in college than he was at the combine. He measured in at six, seven and a half, three thirty-seven. So he was probably playing three forty-five, three fifty in college. And he, and he, he slimmed down. He probably needed to do that because I do think if there's anything for Evan, he's a, he's sometimes a little slow to, you know, the feet aren't you know, dancers feet, but they're pretty they're really good for a guy that size. Mm -hmm. But what you do see is just mauler and nasty in the run game and the ability to use leverage and use his hips and get through guys and move guys at six, seven and a half is just amazing. So I'd watched him in 2019 and 2020, and I thought he's a really good player. And I thought he was a first rounder. I, I, I didn't really have much question in that. I thought he was going to be one of the top tackles, not the top tackle heading into the season. I thought he and Aquanu. Although I knew a lot of people were thinking about Aquano as a guard. So I wanted to see how 2021 played out. So heading into 2021 season, our buddy Bruce Feldman, who writes for The Athletic, yeah, had put together – he puts together every year, and I always love this. Uh -huh. He puts together what's called the freaks list. Yep. And he put Evan Neal at number one, and he posted a video that had kind of been making the rounds on the social medias. And it's funny because I think a couple of prospects in particular, Neal being one, Tyler Linderbaum being another, where a viral video of them not doing football has actually helped them. And for Linderbaum, it's him pinning Tristan Wirfs all-pro tackle and teammate at Iowa in a state championship wrestling meet. And it's like, yo, that's, wow. That's Tristan Wirfs, and that's Linderbaum just taking him to the mat, pinning him in a state championship match. For Evan Neal, it was the video where he's standing in between two we say boxes, they're not really boxes, but they're like platforms. And they had to be about, I don't know, at least three feet high, at least 36 inches, both. 
And he stood in between. He was kind of facing the one with one behind him. And he jumped up in the air. And he put his left foot on the front one, his right foot on the back one. And he just stuck the landing. It looked like a gymnast. Like he, he looks like, like he was a, doing a split. Yeah. Like a like four foot, doing... 10 inch, 14 year old girl who weighs 88 yeah. pounds. He looked like a gymnast. He looked like a gym. I mean, the, the video is jaw dropping for anybody of any weight. I, I mean, you know, Suni Lee, who is, you know, Olympic medalist and Mary now the, the best in 1984. Anybody. Yeah. You, you name the gymnast and it, you're like, you'd be like, yay. You realize that's six, seven and a half, 337 pounds. At the time, probably about 345, 350, and you go, mm. what <laughs> am I looking at? So he's he's wildly athletic. And, you know, I actually, last night, Drew, I, it wasn't, I, you know, it, it's interesting because there, there's certain times where I'll be thinking about something, and maybe I'll hear somebody say something about a particular prospect, and it's not even the guy I'm thinking about, but it triggers a thought of somebody else. And so last night when I was kind of putting the finishing touches on the Harris 100, uh, which hopefully will be out this week. I thought, you know, you just don't find an offensive lineman like him. And you don't find one like Iki Aquano. And so I moved Neil up to two, Aquano to three, and Hutchinson from two to four. And, I, and you know, you can mix two, three, and four, to be honest. I mean, Kyle Hamilton is going to be that guy. He didn't test exceptionally great, but I don't care. He's six, four, and eight, 220 pounds, and moves like a, a stealth deer. So I'm fine with that. But two, and he's, three, your, he's four, your number one. Kyle Hamilton's your number one. Hamilton's number one, yeah. but I moved Neil to two and Quandre to three. Um, and, and I know people say, well, you know, Hutchinson, Hutchinson's a really good player. I mean, of those four guys, I would take any of those four, to be honest with you. And I think some other players sort of entered the conversation. I saw Dane Brugler um, move Trayvon Walker uh, into the Texans' number three spot, which would be very intriguing because he would fit this defense hand in glove. I yeah. mean, he would fit tremendously. Somebody else did, too. I can't remember who the writer is, but now Trayvon Walker – has popped up for the first time, you know, this off season on those yep. mock draft trackers. And I'm going to have a mock draft tracker coming out later on Tuesday, Wednesday around there. It's fascinating. I still, and you and I have talked about this. I still don't think Kayvon Thibodeau comes to the Texans at three. Nope. Um, no, I don't either. But he's the most mocked guy to Houston, which is whatever, you know, I understand how it happens, but I I'm with you. I don't think it does. I don't think that happens. Well, so. here's the thing, Drew. And I, I think about this a lot. And, you know, as a, as a coach, you know, back way back in the day, I, I'd like to think I looked at things like Brandon Staley, like, you know, fourth and one on the 17, I could kick a field goal. I, um, no, I'm going for it. I mean, I, I was less risk aversive as a coach because I trusted a little bit more, but coaches and scouts in particular and GMs are risk averse. Sure. They want to avoid as many risks because they know there's so many pratfalls that these guys, these prospects can, can fall into. And so when you look at a guy like Tim Kayvon Thibodeau and he stands up there and he first of all, compares himself to Jeffy on Clowney 2.0. And then he says, well, I got better pass rush moves than Clowney. And then he's telling everybody, I'm going to do everything to combo. I'm going to show it off. I'm going to go to the combat. And then he does the 40 and the bench and that's it. And after his 40, he puts his warmups on, doesn't do a positional drill, doesn't do anything. It's an enigmatic, sort of thing that you're like man we just want to see this guy compete you told us you were going to do stuff and then you didn't and it just kind of goes in line with some of the things that we heard from Thibodeau and Thibodeau might end up being a tremendous player there's no question but because scouts and coaches and GMs are all sort of risk averse the first thing that's going to be brought up is this dude 
told us you can work out and he didn't he's a whale of a talent yeah he talks a lot he's very confident that's fine i can i can deal with those two things but when you don't show up when you're asked to or you said you were going to that's not going to sit well with the scouts especially when you see other guys that maybe not be of that caliber but a guy like Trayvon Walker is like yo I'm bigger than that guy I'm faster than that guy I'm more violent than that guy and I'm more athletic than that guy played on a better team yeah, than that guy. Walker, played on a better team and he's everything you want coach you know scouts are gonna go hey uh we want that guy we sure. want him. We want Trayvon Walker. He's less of a risk as we see it now, as opposed to now. Might it cost the team? Maybe, maybe it could potentially be that. But I just think Thibodeau has not done himself any favors this off season. And you know, he talked about media pressure. You know, in New York, because I was he, I was actually over there listening to him. I was kind of bouncing around, and I, I was like, oh, I want to hear Thibodeau talk. And right as I got there, he, he was asked a question about the Giants. And he was like, yeah, yeah, man, they were on me. They were on me. And he was like, what do you mean they were on you? And he's like, oh, man, they were wondering whether I was going to play. Or And he was very specific about the things that he was asked. He was very specific about it, which teams don't like to you – know, they don't like that stuff out there. So he's very specific about that. And then he's like, oh, man, I've been dealing with media pressure since I was a sophomore in high school. And I thought, okay, no, you haven't. You didn't play down in the SEC. I understand, you know, in L.A. you were a hot thing and you were a high school guy. You have no idea. And I think that's the sort of thing where players just don't get it. And teams are like, yo, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And that's going to be a problem for Kayvon, man, as a widow football player. But some of those other things, teams are just not going to like it, man. And that's where I think it's going to end up hurting him, especially when there's so many good players at his particular position. Yeah. All right, moving on to the combine and our experience. Um, we got there Monday night. Tuesday, we had the Nick Casario press conference, and that sort of dominated what we were doing, at least for DP and I. You, you were doing radio with sure. the whole time, but and you did. Yeah. You interviewed Casario. But Casario was Tuesday. Lovey Smith, he met with the media Wednesday. That was a big deal. And in the morning, I did my walking intelligence test. There used to be a Wonderlick <laughs> test in it. And uh, I, so I went on the streets of Indianapolis and did that. So Tuesday and Wednesday, real heavy days. And then Thursday, we were taken off in the early afternoon. So we went down back to the convention center with you guys for a little bit in the morning. And it was a, it was a second, a snapshot of what the combine is really like, because we're there and our old pal TJ Yates rolls up. He's now coaching for the Atlanta Falcons. So yeah. he spent about 20 minutes just chit-chatting with us, not, not on air or anything, but just shooting the bull. And that was, it was great yeah. to see him, great to hear from him got some really good insight on some things and some good background knowledge on a lot of different stuff going on around the league and certainly with the Texans. Uh, so my, my day like that talked with him for about 20 minutes. I did some things and then it was time to head back to the hotel on the whole walk back to the hotel, ran into Pep Hamilton, the offensive coordinator. We chit chatted with him. It was good to see him walked a little bit further, turned the corner past the uh, cutout of the Pope uh, Benedict with his hands up. So Saw him, shout out to the Pope. It was Ash Wednesday while we were there. That was fun. And yep. through the corner, saw some, some cool exhibits, some cool strength. Uh, and, you know, like Hammer Strength was there doing their, their uh, demos and whatnot. Went up the escalator, passed Alonzo Highsmith. It was good to see him, the former oiler. And he's, a, he's been a scout in the league for a long time now. 
said yeah. hello to, uh, to Zoe, walked past Peter King doing a, you know, a background interview with some guys, turned the corner, went down the elevator, got our bags, we're waiting. And before the Uber rolls up, Akeem Dent, Akeem the Dream <laughs> Dent, went to get some snacks at the uh, Marriott by Court, or Courtyard by Marriott where we were staying. So think about that. In the span of about 30 minutes, we saw a yeah. guy who got traded for another guy and then oh, their careers wild. were finished. They were that. assisting yeah. coaches together with the Texans. So it was, it's just fun, the, the, the weird little happenstance stuff that happens at the NFL Combine. It was a lot of fun. And all those guys are doing great. It was good to see Akeem. He's trying to get back in the league. So if you're watching yeah. this and you need a good defensive assistant coach, Akeem Dent is your man. We love Akeem. That is odd. I didn't even think about the TJ Yates, Akeem Dent part of it. We ended up with both of them at some point in, in the 20. 20- 15 season we had a key yeah. damp playing linebacker uh and tj had to come in and we, it was funny catching up with tj talking about all the the great moments and such and so the monday night game of 2015 against cincinnati popped up sure and you know we all kind of talking about that throw and then i looked at him and, and tj is such a great dude that you can kind of you know you can kind of you know bust him a little bit for stuff and i was like you remember your first pass and he goes yeah i almost hit you with it I was on the sideline and we just, we just chuckled because, and then in typical TJ fashion, he goes, but I got it together pretty quick. And I was like, yeah, two downs later, he hit it through a dime to Griffin for a first down. And that just really got him going. But that's, it's interesting the way that the combine works, the people you, you see Mm -hmm. um, throughout the league. And and I, I said this either to Nick or to Lovey. I said, this is such a, a large, small fraternity. Like, once you're in it, you might go from team to team or you're with a team for a while. Like us, we've been with the Texans for a while, but you start this, you see people, you get to know them. I mean, yeah. it was at the combine that I, I got to really know Sal Capacho, who's a silent reporter for the Bills. And now, I mean, we're great friends. And so, you know, it's got to be that way kind of around the league. You see people that, you know, maybe you just did an interview with last week or, you know, national people who have gotten to see you for a few years. So they know who you are. So it's, it's the biggest, smallest fraternity ever. Um, you know, like you, we were walking on Mark and I were walking over on the uh, first day we got there. We were walking over to go put our stuff in the, in the convention centers. We're walking over. There's Charles London, uh, yeah. the Falcons. Yeah. He's, he's the uh, quarterback's coach of the Falcons. He's running back, co- running backs coach here. Mm-hmm. And then he moved on and then he ended up with the Falcons and, um, he was with the Chicago bears for a while. And now he's with the Falcons coach of quarterbacks. And you talk about a guy that's on his way up. Charles London is going to be a head coach at some point in the league. And he's going to be a fabulous coach. Um, already is, but he's going to be a fabulous head coach at some point. And you yeah. just bump into people along the way. And, you know, of course the, the media people you run into and you can talk to it's, it, you know, and then, you know, things happen at the, you know, happen at the combine, you know, guys at press conference or, you know, guys says something and you're like right in the middle of it. It's like the Kayvon Thibodeau stuff, the quotes that were making, you know, you know, we're getting out there. I was like, I was standing right there listening to him well, go through that whole exercise. Yeah. And you just said something that triggered my memory. I mean, there's stuff that's going to happen in a week and in two weeks and in three weeks that really happened last week. It, yeah. Right. The deals got consummated, but, and I'm not saying Texans wise, but right. it, you're going to see it happen in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, right. So yeah, that's, that's some of the stuff that happens. And it's, it's one of the fun things about it. It's a, it's a truly unique place. I think it's going to be back in Indianapolis next year, but I think it's going to move around a little so. bit. Yeah, I don't want it to go anywhere. I like it where it is now, and I think I speak for you and the rest of us. We love Indianapolis oh, yeah. for that. 
We don't like it on Sundays in the Before fall. That. Those times the Texans have gone up there and not come away <laughs> victoriously, but uh, yeah. otherwise, it's yep. a good place. All right, dude. It's always good talking with you. I miss you. Uh, big virtual yeah, hug. Man. And we will see you again next time on In the Lab. <laughs>